Three, two, one, and we are back. It is Sunday, and as always, we are broadcasting outside. So you have been warned. If you hear the wind blowing, if you hear the parrots flying by, and God knows whatever else we're going to have. Uh, we had a massive clap of lightning yesterday. That was amazing. Just one with almost no rain. Pretty yeah, strange. And, and it sounded like it was basically happening right above our heads, and Julie checked her little device and found out it was two and a half miles away. But oh my gosh, it. I mean, the dog seemed like it was two and a half away. Yeah, the dogs practically jumped up in the air five feet. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. They did ruffle their fur. Yeah, the the uh, weather extremes and the differences in just everything when you live on an island like we do now in the Caribbean is profound than living in all the other places we've lived before because everything is amplified, just everything, and and I'll, even the people really. I mean, aside from cultural hmm. differences and things like that. It's fascinating to me, living down in Puerto Rico, how many people, how the, the uh, you know, people from Puerto Rico, they're more adjusted to hardship for yeah. longer periods of time than any place I've ever been before. Yeah, it's weirdly similar to when we lived in Ohio, I think. Because for the winter. For the winter, right? Yeah. You, like, you kind of knew what, how bad it could be. You had all of your equipment, your shovels, your ice melters, your picks, your you know extra tires and clothes because you kind of knew that's how it would go and when it was like that you'd go and bail your neighbor out it it does i never thought that i would have that uh correlation to living here but people are like you know and how the puerto ricans are like you know really we don't always have earthquakes like this (laughs) you know this isn't always how it is it's weird for us too but that they have those conversations and i guess maybe we have the look of being freaked out occasionally but uh it is interesting how hardened I guess they are. Or hardened might not be the word. More uh, flexible and accepting that, you know, you can have these weird weather occurrences and earthquakes and all that. For when we lived in Texas, there was certainly a sense of, you know, north of Austin, let's just throw that in there. But when we lived in Texas, there was a, definitely a sense of community. But the community was founded on, I think, more religious. And probably. independence, too. And I mean, independence, yeah. There, so there was more of these overriding sort of, um, you know, I'd say Texas definitely has its own unique culture. But when you're living here, it's it's not so much that. It's more of interdependence for the sake of really honestly survival. I, I mean, agree with that. Maria was only three years ago. And, you know, you still – it's not hard at all to stumble across um, on a, you know, a sojourn down to San Juan or just another part of the island. It's not unusual at all to see a part of San Juan – or part of Puerto Rico that it still looks like – you know, something you'd only see in the third world after some sort of horrible bomb attack. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Well, it's one of the reasons they don't have very many uh, traffic lights is those yeah. came down and were replaced with roundabouts because then you don't have to worry about it. That's right. I mean, you know? so there's... But you do see random, you know, what you might call bombed out looking buildings mm-hmm. that just had their butts kicked and haven't come back yet. Well, then there's the juxtaposition where you have, and it's not even like you guys will in your minds immediately think we're referring to wealth, but we're not. But the juxtaposition of it is the resilience of the people but also, there's so many like um, businesses that formed in Puerto Rico, small little local businesses that are owned by just the kinds of people that all of you listening would be familiar with because you're like that too. I mean, true entrepreneurs, yeah. people with a heart of service, people who wanted to create something that was beyond what maybe you know they normally would have gotten. Well, I, even micro entrepreneurs, you know, think yeah. about it, especially as a result of the pandemic. How many little mini, I don't know if you want to call them uh, side businesses, but they're, they're kind of micro entrepreneurs, people that'll, 
you know, do your grocery shopping for yeah. you or they'll bring, yeah, I, th- I think there's probably eight or nine different, uh, you know, home bake shops. One of the, one of my friend's uh, high school graduating daughters has created Deliver Your, um, she'll make cookie dough for you and it's ready to rumble and she'll just drop off however many dozen you want and that's her little side business. And here in Puerto Rico, you be driving down the street and you'll see like, you guys are going to think I'm making this up, but yeah. I'm not. You're going to see, like in, in Austin, you'd see a whole bunch of food trailers. But in here, you would drive down the street and you'll see a bunch of trailers where one is a, you know, they're selling a little a clothing boutique. One is a place that sells the best coffee you've ever had in your life. Another is selling bananas. fresh seafood. Another is selling <laughs> bananas. Another is selling, like, I mean, you just, it's, it's amazing. And so what, what has happened as a result of Maria, I think, primarily, I wasn't, Julie and I weren't here other than just vacationing prior to Maria. But to see how resilient, I, you know, people can be. And there is no surge of new businesses and, you know, there's no big wave of tech or anything that's really going to take root here probably anytime soon, at least not that I've heard of. I'm sure everyone wants that to happen, but it's not. Why, why are we telling you all this? Because that's what's going to happen to a lot of the communities around the country. That's what's going to happen to a lot of you. You're going to have to basically retool and look forward to all the opportunities that this new world's going to offer. And Julie and I have been reading a lot about different things that we're excited about, mostly tech-oriented, but truthfully not really tech-oriented, mostly oriented from the fact that people are resilient and they're going to want to rediscover um, what it's like to feel free. And, and really to feel free, you can't be dependent on somebody else ultimately for your income. You have to be at least have the illusion of having freedom of controlling your own destiny from ho- owning your own business. Now, anyone who's owned their own business for a long time knows that owning your own business usually results in actually, in terms of actual dollars, an hour spent, probably about 10 times the amount of work that, say, working for, for someone would require. I mean, when you own your own business, you have to have antivirus software running in your head constantly looking for problems and leaks and future leaks. And if you're really going to succeed for a long period of time, that's how you have to think. As a, as a business owner, as a small business owner, even as a large business owner, you don't stop thinking about it. As a, an employee, you can unplug at a certain time of day and go off and do your own thing. Now, the small business owner has greater risks, but obviously has greater payoffs, too, if they're to get all the stars aligned. I often wonder why it is that people, like 95% of all small businesses don't succeed, why 95% of all agents don't succeed. And I think the real answer is just because they fight with the fact that they do have to have that antivirus software running in their heads 24 hours a day. They try to have a lifestyle that is similar to that of their, uh, you know, normal working brethren and sisterin, right? They try to act like they had acted in their previous employees where they were working for somebody where they could walk away at, you know, five o'clock or whatever. And I think that's the biggest reason. And furthermore, they're surrounded by people that aren't small business owners. They're surrounded by people that don't think like they think or they're trying to think. And so the idea of not working far beyond what a normal person would work in terms of actual effort, um, it's not rewarded with any sort of social reinforcement. All their friends and family are saying like, you know, Julie, what the heck? It's, you know, 530. Let's go grab a beer or whatever. And you're like, nope, I got to put in some more time, you know. So that's the kind of if you really get to the heart of why so many businesses fail, I think that's the reason why it's because the business owners aren't aligning themselves with the truth about what it takes to be successful long term. Um, and I'll tell you something else that I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And then we have actually I have some things I want to talk that I, I articles I want to share. But the other thing is that people who are small business owners, they think that it's supposed to be a passion project or mm-hmm. an, an, you know 
a self-expression type opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. An art project. Yeah. They don't realize that really being successful at anything, especially a business, requires unlimited amounts of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to hmm. do it at the highest level and yeah. long periods of time of no payoff before you actually see the benefit. I think people, when they become self-employed, either because they wanted to be or because they had to become self-employed, um, often expect it to be less work, not just the same, but less work, less responsibility, less accountability, when in fact it's all of that opposite, complete, radically opposite of that. Like you said, long periods of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it and striving always to do it at a better, higher level. That's not what a lot of people signed up for. I see that with uh, many, not all of them, but I see that with a lot of coaching clients and some of our listeners is that, you know, hey, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. This this seems like it's going to be a lot harder. And, and that's in the best of times. That's not even in recessionary times. I, I always remember, you know, back all the way at the beginning getting my real estate license when you actually had to show up physically to a class and take the classes and um, we were about to take a practice test we had a little break and we were out at the coke machine and this this uh, fellow fellow uh, student a lady ladies just like starts packing up her backpack and her pencils and pens and she's like all right i'm out of here and i had you know been kind of friendly with her before i said what's the deal she goes i just found out that this job is 100% commission. Yep. How can anybody survive on that? I'm not doing this, and left, and didn't even follow through with the rest of her license. It was like this big light bulb had gone off. What do you mean there's not going to be a salary? I mean, after all, people say things like, I work for Century 21. Well, no, you're working for yourself. You're just hanging your license somewhere. Yep, that's right. So, But I'll never forget that, because it caused me to pause and say, hmm, I wonder if I know what I'm signing up for. I remember very clearly, you know, we say I remember a lot on this podcast, right? Yeah, the one we do on Sunday. It's Sunday and we're... Yeah, we're defragging. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I do remember very clearly when you and I were, you know, we first got married, we bought our first house when we were early 20s, we got real estate licenses, you know. Yes, we had a lot of success. We sold over 100 houses our first year and every year after that. But here's what I remember. I remember it, though there were absolute high points of feeling like we had made it or we were on a different trajectory than had we been like I was thinking about becoming a cop and you were remember. what doing you know on the path that you were on we were just following the traditional route mm-hmm. other than my father there was no real entrepreneurial inspirations anywhere in our lives so but I remember having the uh, thought and this thought stayed in my head for years when are we really going to see the payoff because we had yeah. friends that were taking vacations and we had friends from high school that were you know, essentially having a hell of a lot more fun and working yep. a hell of a lot less than we were. And it probably took, realistically, for us to actually, you know, pause. Because, look, we were going through ups and downs. We were having to learn what we didn't know. We were having to create, um, you know, an evergreen business system. We were trying to just learn. We were trying to – we didn't even have good enough filters to know what who to ignore. I mean, that, yeah. truthfully – It's in, a lot of in, trial and error. In business, in, in real estate especially, it's it's less about listening and learning. It's more about knowing who to listen and learn from because yeah. there's so much crap that's out there. Well, it's so much worse now because of, you know, all of the social media and the, you know, all the things that you're bombarded with between your email and your texting and all the social stuff. Yeah, you and, know, and nobody. And, I mean, we thought it was bad before all of that hit. And nobody's really telling people to do the, do the real work of real estate anymore. And back nope. when we were selling real estate, it was it was the same way, but really there was less. There were fewer competing voices. I mean, when we were selling real estate. It was the marketing guy. It was the buyer referral guy. 
It yeah. was the prospecting guy, and then there was the direct marketing guy. I mean, that was it. You had um, those were the those are the four paths. And if you mm-hmm. guys think about it nowadays, it's virtually the same exact thing. Yeah. There's so, just more of it in each category. So what people have a tendency to do is they'll latch on to one of those particular paths, and that'll be their hill to die on, without ever mm-hmm. having the actual business sense to know which is the essentially the correct path. And then what people do, which is you know usually a greater mistake, is they create a mishmash of the kind of the best ofs what they like from each of those different direct you know essentially business systems, and and then they then they really fail fast because they're never completing, they're never actually finishing anything. It's always just sort of a it's a hodgepodge, and it sounds and looks like a hodgepodge, and they sound and look like a hodgepodge. They don't, mm. you know, they don't focus, follow one course until successful. But really, at the end of the day, the hardest thing to do in real estate nowadays or any small business is know who to tune out because everyone's an expert. There's, I watch these YouTube videos occasionally, yeah. and there's this, I, I swear if he's 18, I'll be shocked, mm. and he starts on talking real fast. It's a commercial. People ask me all the time, what should I do with my money? I'm thinking to myself, are you serious? Paper route money? I mean, what are we doing <laughs> no, here, son? It is not congruent with his look or feel. I don't know whatsoever. if you guys see those commercials. I remember it. you showing that to me, and I thought, really? Yeah, because no. I listen to a lot of podcasts in the background yeah. during the day, and, and he's paying for these commercials. He's obviously trying to be some sort of business guru, and maybe he is. Maybe it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I, all I'm saying is there's just so many people out there that are just essentially trying to frankly not tell you the whole truth about what it takes to be successful in life in general and the real truth is it is truly about doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level it's about it's that and it and that's so that's such an unattractive unsexy horrible ugly you know non-trendy thing to say but it is still true i mean we're julie and i we have to deprogram you guys constantly to realize that you do not have to be passionate about what you're doing to be successful. You do not have to, you know, focus on the one thing. You do not all this stuff is just sort of modern business feel good garbage. And and it really does confuse you. Thus the reason in our opinions why the failure rate in real estate is so shockingly high mm-hmm. because there's so many people out there that are just selling their wares to you guys and not telling you the real truth about real estate. So again, I don't even, I, I kind of got off track on this, but where were we? <laughs> well, we're before? talking about how people's expectations when they're running oh, their I own remember. show is Thank you. not the same as well, reality. So, so doing, essentially, here's here's the challenge with realizing that everything takes longer than you think it should um, to seem th- to get successful is because the people that are selling you guys these gimmicky ideas, uh, they'll tell you that as well. And so what they'll do is they'll get you essentially drinking their Kool-Aid for years. And when their thing doesn't work that you've been investing money into, they'll tell you, you just have to keep on doing it for a little bit longer. They're never going to tell you that it doesn't work. No, obviously. In fact, that's their objection handler. You haven't right. been doing it long enough. Exactly. Give and it I, some time, be some patient, you know. I remember when Julie and I were in trying, uh, you know, people were trying to indoctrinate us in our Howard Britton days mm-hmm. into the um, marketing realm. You have to brand, you have to buy your way, you have to spend money, you have to have, make it so that people only think of you and they think of real estate. You have to be, you know, have your keywords so people do so, all this stuff. Guys, trust me, it's not new. It's been around forever. Um, and I, I remember... Um, we sort of went down that path, but then we sort of realized that in any time you and I had enough common sense, I think that mm-hmm. anytime someone tells you you have to do the same thing for over a year before you're going to see a benefit, and if you have an alternative where you can see a benefit literally the same day, why would you do the other thing? 
And um, and the reason that you would do the other thing is because the other thing seduces you with the idea that it doesn't require doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level. It just requires that you have this sort of blind, you know, unquestionable faith that eventually one day you'll start all the mm-hmm. damn postcards will all of a sudden making it so people start calling me or all my social networking or all the videos will make it so people will start calling me and I'll start doing business. And Screw you, Tim and Julie. I never had to do what I didn't want to do what I didn't want to do at the highest level, right? I mean, isn't that what you guys think? So the reality of it is, again, go back to the statistic. Why does virtually every single agent fail? And I bet you the failure rate in terms of how long agents are in business actually has, uh, like, I bet you it's not two years that they're in business before they fail. I bet you it's more like eight months now. I think you're right. Because there's so many different people. And it, 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 when we were in real estate, it wasn't being reinforced by brokers and office managers who would all, so the difference was when Julie and I were in real estate, all the sort of, you know, makeshift gurus weren't around and, um, or at least they weren't around in the sense that the brokers and the office managers hadn't been brainwashed by them. You guys get it? So when Julie and I sold real estate, the people that were essentially uh, guiding us had been raised in a ro- in a world where they were trained to do the real work of real estate. Whereas a lot of you well, guys- They are, didn't have the options not to really. Right. Whereas you guys are being raised in a world where essentially all the brokers and office managers and gurus and people that are trying to sell you different things, they have only known real estate in the past, let's say, in earnest probably 12 years, where all these things have been essentially drowning out all the more reasonable, practical, and tactical voices. Because again, they're very appealing. And if I tell you guys, for example, today it's Sunday and I want you to do five things that truly make you uncomfortable that you know you've been avoiding, even though you know those are the things that are going to put money in your pocket the fastest. Let's say go call five FISBOs or whatever your greatest terror is of real estate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. or or you could go and basically do five, you know, 10 social networking posts. Who's going to do the five things versus right? the 10 easy things that requires no rejection or skill? All of you will. And they know it. Right? You guys get the point here? Now, with that said, for those of you guys, there is there is something to be said, like branding. Branding is a modern word that is trying to replace the word reputation. So if you want to have a really great reputation of being a successful, you know, essentially uh, agent or professional of any variety, the way you do it is by having, if you want to have the superior brand, and I'm air quoting that, the way to do it is have the superior reputation. The only way you're going to have the superior reputation isn't by spending a lot of money and telling people you're great. It's actually having done the real work of real estate and showing people that you're great, that you can actually get the job done. And you cannot absolutely not confuse those two because you cannot spend enough money to buy a reputation, right? You can't. You can, you can be fooled into believing that you can, but you can't. You can't shortcut that. You can't shortcut having, you know, you absolutely positively have to be, you know, the, the pointy end of the arrow, forward deploy, doing the real work of real estate when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And if you try to shortcut it, you're going to be, again, one of the 90 plus percent that fail after 24 months. That is just the sad statistic. You know, I didn't mean yeah. to talk about any of this today. <laughs> that's okay. It's your brain dump. And that's all right. Yep. You know, I think that this is compounded by the fact that in order for you to build that reputation, you know, I think they get stuck sometimes not having the experience to rely on. And so they try to replace the experience or like what you're saying, the reputation with, you know, buying it or manufacturing it or doing like the person you were referring to, you know, people ask me all the time, blah, 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 trying to like manufacture it. So one of the things, yeah, to fake it and you know, the whole saying, fake it till you make it. Well, 
You know, one of the things that we strive for in our coaching is what I call uh, backfilling the deficit of experience very quickly. You know, we have a, a new agent action plan and it's a list of things that they have no idea about to in, in the course of about two weeks, they go to a closing, they go to a loan application, they go and preview each segment, each price range in their, in their market because people generally don't show what they don't know. So there are ways to, you know, force a little bit of experience. That's pretty good, by the way, you know, we just but, said. But they don't. Well, they, drill they down on what you just said. They won't show what they don't know. Right. So how many people listening believe that there's no new construction in their market? Why? Because they've never gone out to find it and because they don't see it easily in their MLS. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So one of the things we do in that uh, quick start program is go find the new construction in each price range. Who's building what, where, who has owner or builder financing, you know, who has special deals and spec homes. And you're not going to find that in your MLS. So that's just one little segment. Most agents are afraid to sell or list to or show anything in the price range above what they're living in. That yeah. is a fact, Jack. So how do you fix that? Well, you don't have to have a high-end client to go educate yourself. We, I mean, you that's know? we told I that mean, story a couple Sundays yeah, ago. Yeah, absolutely. We, we that makes a big difference in confidence level. We were selling meat and potato houses in Columbus, Ohio, and I mean, that's an awesome market, right? You always have ready buyers and sellers. So we were matter. very comfortable with that because our first-time buyer house is what we were living in when we got our licenses. And that's where we natural. sold. You know, our average sale price our first year in the business. I'm sure it was. I bet it was barely 200 grand. Well, definitely not 200. Yeah, it, it was probably. Yeah, it's probably more like 150 now that yeah. do the math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, granted. This and that was, was what they were moving up to. <laughs> this, this was a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on a side note, Julie and I, we have a lot of rental properties where we where we originally sold real estate. We were, we hardly ever look at the values, but just as a joke, I went online <laughs> and I looked to see like houses that we were selling when we were selling real estate for 75 grand are now selling for like 250, 300 grand. It's like, what, what the hell? <laughs> and they're all in contract, every last one of it's them. It's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but the point being is that you don't show what you don't know. You don't list yeah. what you don't know. You get intimidated. You do crazy things like when you have the lead, you talk well, yourself out of it. It's the reason know. that Julie and I, when we ended our career selling real estate that was an average close to a million dollars. And why would we do that? Um, because we were we wanted the challenge. I mean, we knew we, we just, I'm not going to say got bored, but we wanted a greater challenge. And we, hey, had the epiphany that... Why would you want to have to sell ten houses and make, you know, th uh, thirty grand? Where you can go sell one house and make thirty grand. One mm -hmm. house that sell, that, you know, is better than selling having to sell. Yeah. So that's what we did. So we moved across town to this market that's totally and completely unfamiliar with us. And guess what we learned? That every single thing that we had to know that made us successful selling normally priced homes in that particular overall geographic area absolutely translated to the more expensive stuff and if anything it translated easier to the more expensive stuff because mm -hmm. most of the agents that were selling there god bless them that's mm -hmm. a little saying we learned in texas those of you from texas know what that means <laughs> god bless them they um did not have any skill set with few exceptions and for the most part they're just getting all their business just from their social connections and the centers of influence and past clients. That's where they got it. The country club because they went grew up to school. Blah blah blah. All the normal things. And when Julie and I rolled into town, I'm not going to lie to tell you that within you know six months they absolutely did not like us. No. Nope. Because we would go compete with them on listing appointments because we knew how, how to overcome objections. We knew how to basically price things. We had sharpened our saw selling meat and potato houses. And when Julie and I were selling houses. Uh, not, it was definitely not a seller's market. It was nope. definitely not a seller's market anywhere ever. Now, we've coached agents in seller's markets. 
And yes, we're all secretly jealous of you, especially those of mm-hmm. you in seller's markets with upper end price ranges, but we never actually sold. So we actually had to learn how to sell real estate in really what was a very, very challenging market. Um, but it, point being is it translated to an upper end market. Now, here, big picture, all of us are going into the market where Julie and I like what Julie and I originally sold real estate in. So yeah. that's the that's the transition that's happening now. But we started out by talking about essentially you know, essentially how entrepreneurs will find opportunity anywhere at any time in any market conditions. And so the article that I shared with you this morning, do you have anything to tag on what we were talking about? No, I mean, you know, get into action and don't live in fear of what you don't know. You've just got to go figure out, you know, and uh, get some experience under your belt. So I came across an article today, and I'm not going to talk about conspiracy theories about 5G and all that. Uh Uh-oh, you guys hear that? You hear that horrible music? (laughs) Live from Puerto Rico. Live golf from, cart music. Live from Puerto Rico. <laughs> Someone buy. This is, this is like the, there's, yeah. Wow, I hope that goes away well, soon. You were talking at the top of the podcast about how every, everything's amplified here. Okay. That includes the music. Yeah. On the weekends, oh, these people know how to party. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, oh, and God bless them, too. And I mean that in the sincerest sense, not in the Texas sense. When there's a holiday here. I tell you what, if you've got some Puerto Rican friends, you have the best time, and the and it doesn't end. They'll, like Christmas began. <laughs> when did Christmas begin and end here? Well, be, you know, right after Thanksgiving. I think actually Thanksgiving weekend is when we saw a lot of decorations going up, but it didn't end. And until parties constantly, constantly wall to wall, and it went to Three Kings Day, which was like January thirteenth. I yeah, think. I, mean, I I love Christmas, but it was exhausting for me, I was even with a six year old. Totally. But we'd never been to so many parties and had so much fun. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was, but we kept on checking the calendar. Like, didn't wasn't Christmas like last week? And they're like, they take like <laughs> I, there was like a week, like a long weekend off for Three Kings Day, and we we kind of knew what Three Kings Day was, but nope, it's a thing here. It is. Yep, and they celebrate all it. week, and they give <laughs> gifts too. They get so they give it's Christmas. Like second Christmas. Yeah, it's second Christmas. Mm-hmm. They give Christmas. They have Christmas on Christmas, and then they have Three Kings Day, and kids get Christmas presents on both days. Now, fortunately, Zoe had yet to discover Three Kings Day, but here's the challenge that Julie and I have here, living here. Are you guys ready for this? Our daughter's birthday is on January 1st, right? So she has Christmas, her birthday, and yep. Three Kings Day. And she thinks that New Year's Day is all about her. Yeah, exactly. The whole world celebrates her birthday. So how? It's, please, we need suggestions. How do we not raise a spoiled human? Yeah, I think it may be too late. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, she asked me for a... Uh, a genie in the bottle yesterday oh of course we can get that for her <laughs> i'm like does, does no amazon problem. have that yeah i said why do you want a genie in the bottle that way the genie can come out and make me fly and all of my dreams will come true I'm like all right we've been watching disney yes exactly <laughs> well, cute, thankfully she's starting to step away from that modern stuff that's on that she likes <laughs> to watch and she's watching like tom and jerry and i know old school she's on looney tunes which is awesome i know and she's going looney tunes as a result it's she chill. changed you did recognize that she's changed her laugh to sound like what character is it well it used to be uh woodstock from snoopy but now it, it might be woody woodpecker i'm I, not i'm not sure i was gonna say it's woody gotta stop soon because it's making me crazy but <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's ridiculous. See. Yes, I digress. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So what were we talking about? I oh, don't remember. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> opportunities. Like I said, yeah. you guys got to be strapped in for Sunday. We talked about what the hell we want to talk about. Oh, by the way, to listen to normal real estate coaching radio, make sure you listen <laughs> Monday through Friday. Sunday is all about us defragging from the week That's and right. preparing for the next week. Um. All right. Article I sent you on five G. 
Yes. Right. Okay, and I know there's a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and people I that I thought are, it was very interesting. I loved it. And and so this really got me thinking. I think it kind of teed me up mentally to talking about entrepreneurs and whatnot, truthfully. But this article, you guys, like, this is how smart I am. When I thought about 5G, I just thought, well, hell, my cell phone will work better, right? Yeah. It'll you be know, faster. Well, you know, maybe we won't have to rely on, you know, in-home wired Easters. cable for our internet connection. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of my... Um, the expansion of my thinking with regards to essentially 5G and now they're already talking about 6G without getting into the technological nerdy aspect of what 5G really means unless my technological and nerdy wife wants to tell you. Well, Does she? it's not pulling up all the details, but I did read it. And uh, absolutely, not just a little bit faster, but it should be shockingly faster, um, more efficient, even and not just in your home, but also on the road, it'll affect your car people who live in rural areas like even when we lived in texas we weren't that rural but they still you know getting the internet to our our cell ranch, phones I mean, and cell phones yeah. and you know everything will be faster everything will be more interconnected the efficiencies probably will be mind-boggling and it got me thinking about you know they gave different examples in different areas well let's like, talk about like the examples or, that's what's interesting right so what got me thinking is you know, what's the saying that animals will grow to the size of the cage you keep them in or your business yep. will grow to to the extent which you know the technology to use? Well, so think about how inefficient, even though, you know, this is much better than even five years ago, what we're doing now, but think about how inefficient it is. They used an example of having to upload a file of pictures and send it via email or try to get it to work in text and the file's too big and it gets stuck and you have to do it over and over. That those types of problems with information sharing will go away, which affects everything. For example, no more traffic jams. Why? Because cars will be smarter and the system will sense well, there's a slowdown and it won't get... Break that article down. So you're, you know. she, she's talking about something very fascinating. Yeah. All right. So they, they drilled down the thing. We're that, talking, ultimately, it's the speed of communication. Well, so let's say, and I'm not a big fan of autonomous cars just because I like, you know, old school cars where you can actually shift and there's a clutch, but whatever. I realize that most of you have no idea what a (laughs) clutch is. That's fine. Um, My uh, automotive tastes go to the relic side of it. Uh, Julie, for a Father's Day present, an early Father's Day present, I uh, found it and she bought it. It was a 1967 Mini Cooper S, a real one. And for the none of you who know what that is... Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's not like the BMW-made Mini no, no. of modern times. It's, it's the original British Mini. Our golf cart is literally longer and almost as wide <laughs> as the Mini. I'm not even kidding you. So yeah. anyway, that's the type of thing that personally I like. Something I can work on, something where I smell the gas and the oil, something where I can understand by you know studying it, maybe watching some YouTube videos how to fix it. Mechanical stuff excites me. Um, anyway, so... The whole aspect of 5G, just drilling down on automotive, is very fascinating because we essentially the direction that cars are going is they're going to be autonomous. And I have to say, overall, even though I am a absolute automotive enthusiast, um, I think that's a thousand times better than the situation we have now. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to pick on Puerto Rican drivers, but oh my <laughs> God, if there's autonomous cars here, I'd feel so much safer on the road. <laughs> totally. Um, but so they gave the example of essentially yeah. you'll be able to sit. It's a George Jetson scenario, right? You're going to be, mm-hmm. you'll sit in this car and there'll be, it'll, it won't just go from one day, you know, it's an, a thing like a Tesla to the next day where you're sitting in this box. But basically you're, it, there's going to be a, an evolution of it. The laws will have to evolve. People's emotional acceptance will have to evolve. I'm sure like Tesla, let's call that, you know, the first wave and the second wave, maybe 
you're going to start seeing the actual device being less, you know, it's a device right now. It's, I mean, it's not a car. You're going to start thinking like you do your watch or your computer. And so the device, you know, that you are transported around in is then going to start opening up the space. And all of a sudden, you're not necessarily going to need a modern, you know, sort of or a more traditional automotive layout where everyone's facing forward. And then you're going to see the steering wheel is going to become something that becomes somewhat, uh, maybe this car has it, maybe that doesn't, mm-hmm. because the whole vehicles will be interconnected through 5 and eventually what comes next, 6G, so they can communicate with each other. They'll know where each other are. It's not going to be temp- dependent. This is what's really cool. It's not going to be dependent on whether or not the road systems actually can get up to speed. So there's not going to be, we don't have to wait around for, like here in Puerto Rico, the roads here, let's just say, are challenging. There's potholes that are easily consumed by a little Mini Cooper with one, you know, oh, with yeah. one gallop. Um, so the well, but there will be smart cities. It's not just about the phones and the cars and right. the TVs. It's that with nearly instant communication, everything in the vicinity will be able to talk with each other, right? So the five the five G towers are um, much easier to put up. They can attach them to telephone poles. They can put them everywhere. And the 5G, uh, the manner, the speed in which it communicates is instantaneously. So you're going to be driving in your car or riding in your car, as the case may be. You're going to sit in your car. You're going to tell it where you want it to go. It's going to take you where, you, and it's going to communicate along the way. That's going to, and another thing that's fascinating is your car is going to be communicating with stoplights. It's going to be communicating with everything around you. Other and cars. so if, if you're coming up yep. against an intersection and normally it would have a red light when there's nobody there, the light's going to automatically change because it's going to know that you're the only you know car that's headed that direction. Um, you know, all that. Cars are going to be able to, you know, communicate, as Julie just said, with each other. And you're going to see autonomous trucks. You're going to see autonomous, all these things. People talk about electric being in the end all and be all of cars. That's not really true. There's probably going to be something like hydrogen because then it's not dependent on the uh, burning of fossil fuels. So all these things are exciting. Now, if you think in terms of cars, like something all of us have grown up with, and we have sort of this resolute idea of what a car is and if you think the car is going to change within the next let's say 10 years in the meaning most meaningful ways probably a decade from now but really noticeably in the next five years and it's going to be similar to what i just described where do where are you trying to hold on to like i am old school mechanical ways of thinking isn't that fascinating so then so scale this idea now talk about the whole imagery uh, um, essentially how you can start seeing your doctor Yes. Using your 5G device. Sure. Well, since everything will be communicating more quickly and everything will be basically smart, like your phone's a smartphone, think about now, if you think maybe something's wrong with me, I feel kind of funny, you have to go to the doctor, you get blood work, they do the you know the heart rate monitor versus what your watch will be able to do or a necklace will be able to do, where it's monitoring everything constantly and it automatically uploads the information to your file, your doctor will have it. It'll even connect to maybe your relatives. Like, I would love to have that tracker on um, your mom, you know, like when we're away or something. How is there something going on that we need to know about instead of like going home and asking a bunch of questions? And, go, and that's very analog, um, medically speaking. So it'll instantly. Well, I'm not objective. You know I mean? I'm not objective about how I feel. I'm certainly I'm not like well, most like, men do not yeah. want to say when they're not feeling good. Right. No, and things like I always, if I wake up in my throat sore in the middle of the night, I figure I've got bird flu or something, you know, because it's 3 a.m. <laughs> no, you think you, think you have dark, Ebola. Something, yeah, and then by morning, I'm like, okay, I just need a drink of water. But if you really did have something wrong with you and it's monitoring you all the time, then everything is going to be that much more efficient. And, you know, that's why I was thinking about how much time 
if you break down the different segments of society and of your life, your personal life, your business life, how much time is wasted? I bet you I spend an hour a day getting on and off the right Wi-Fi and trying to make something work and you know, resetting a password, whatever. You know, how much inefficient time is being wasted? And that's because we're all kind of used to it and because it's better than it used to be. So if you think about medical, for example, staying on that point is yeah. that you have, essentially you'll have real-time monitoring of your health. It'll be real-time monitored hypothetically by an AI probably. And if the AI catches any aberrations, it's then gonna notify mm -hmm. your doctor. The AI might you know call you and just say, hey, guess what, you have an elevated this, you have an elevated that and monitor this, monitor that. That's kind of badass. And I'd say you need to change your supplements, right? right you need exactly. a different mix. Right. I mean, it, that's what it's going to be. That's where we're evolving as, as far as medical care, where you're going to have real time, not just I'm going to go to the doctor once a year and I'm going to have my, you know, monitored and things and whatever. And I'm when I go to the doctor, I, my main, number one mission is getting the hell out of there. Right. So when he asks you, so Tim, how's it going? Great. Yeah. You're you have any objective. problems? Nope. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, well, Are we I done? Mean, when I go to the doctor, my heart rate always looks like I'm about to explode because I just don't like doctors, <laughs> right? Does. And then I go home and my resting heart rate's like 55. Yeah, she goes to the doctor. <laughs> you know? The doctors always say, Julie, you have you high okay? blood pressure. Like, and it's no, like, really, no, I don't. she doesn't. She just, just hates doctors. What do they call it? White coat? White coat syndrome. Yeah, white coat syndrome. So, you know, until doctors stop wearing white coats. But, you know, the whole yeah. thing. The, yeah. well, again, I want you guys, we're telling you this just so you start thinking bigger. Now, here, expand it to this direction so we can start reeling it back in that's to something that's really, truly relevant to these guys' business. Mm -hmm. If you had 5G connection that had no latency issues, which uploaded, downloaded, it was, um, you know, not 4K, but some K that our eyes can barely perceive, and you could put on some kind of 4K, 5K, 1000K headset, and you then could all of a sudden go, and, with, and it's an immersive experience, let's say. It's essentially, you are there all your you know eyes and your ears are essentially hearing the exact experience and seeing the exact experience as physically being there and then you you want to talk about the power of essentially virtual tours you guys mm -hmm. want to talk here here take this even to the next level what if for example uh, you know just thinking like an, an agent now what sure. if for example you have the typical scenario that we dealt with all the time when we were selling expensive stuff in, in new albany where you had trailing spouses, right? Mm -hmm. You had the husband who would come first, and he'd yep. check out real estate, and he would take pictures, and you'd send. What if, for example, the husband then was wearing some kind of body cam or some sort of immersive mm -hmm. VR thing that was transmitting in real time back to the spouse who was wherever she was, and she was going through these whole experiences, and I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying it's really damn close, close to the because same. Because you would be seeing it as if it was through your own eyes. Right. What if, for example, when you, know, you and I are doing this podcast in 10 years, and if all of a sudden we're... Now, the podcast is no longer uh, just audio only. What if it's immersive? What if they're sitting here with mm -hmm. us and they're seeing, you know, the crazy bathing suit that you're wearing right now? Or they're, they're, they're seeing the yeah. block of, you know, green parrots to fly yeah. by. What if they're actually seeing uh, the fact that we're not drinking Diet Cokes today? We're drinking your sugar-free, what are they? Granitas. Sugar-free granitas. That's right. Yes. You know, that, and does that not make, I mean, already, when I listen to podcasts, not all podcasts, but when I listen to some podcasts, they're immersive. We're to the point, yeah. I'll listen to the podcast just because I feel like I'm part of the conversation. And I don't want to yeah. stop listening because I don't want to seem rude because my brain has been so convinced that I'm sitting there with them listening to them. You know well, what I'm I see it. I see it. Joe Rogan's podcast. Joe Half Rogan's of them podcast. are just like that. Yeah. I mean, I remember way back when, when we used to like listening to Marshall Redder's. Yep. It wasn't a podcast. It was a cassette because it was so 
raw and uncut, and because we knew him, we felt like, you know, we're just hanging out with Marshall. I see it with Zoe with some of the YouTube stuff that she sees, like, which on one level drives me crazy, like kids promoting products or whatever, but there are some celebrity YouTube kids that do some good things, like science experiments and stuff like that, and she'll, she really feels like those are her friends. Well, so you're actually touching on something with a, a, a quick yeah. aside. Uh, if you're apprehensive about creating media, um, now look, do not create media thinking that you're going to make money from it. Um, the, if you get a big enough audience, eventually you will. Do it with the idea that you're going to reinforce your other efforts. So mm-hmm. if, we encourage everyone to start their own podcast. Podcasting, without a doubt, is going to – it already is. Maybe it, the pandemic is uh, strapped essentially, you know – Elon Musk style rocket boosters mm-hmm. um, to you know to yeah. podcasting as a genre and it's going to take off like never before. The amount of people starting podcasts and the content about podcasts. We, Julie and I are literally podcasting directly in my iPhone. When yep. when the podcasting is done, we're going to upload the podcast and it's so simple to do. There's nothing to it. We um, never have spent a lot of time editing and cleaning up and you know skipping the ums and the whatnots and the yep. Like if Julie starts to sneeze, you're going to hear Julie sneeze, yep. right? It just is what it is. And But here's the interesting thing. That's the direction that all media is going. It, and maybe it's a spinoff from reality TV where people don't want to have a, you know, a curated experience. But so if those of you who think I don't want to you know, start my own podcast because I don't want to have to learn software, I don't know how to do any of it, guys. I'm telling you, it's all automated. Do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Because if you start creating a podcast that's going to reinforce your real estate business where you're doing it with the intention of not um, – what do I say? Not being too, just being of service to people, providing them information. And look, how many things did we talk about today that was real estate oriented? And this is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents, maybe in the world. And our, you know, we probably have the largest, if not one of the largest real estate coaching businesses in the United States, if, let alone the world. Why do I tell you that? Because on Sunday, we're talking about whatever the hell we want to talk about. And guess what? These are the podcasts we get the most positive feedback yeah. about. The irreverent so ones. So don't overthink it and don't think you have to have some sort of advanced technical degree and you know how to use a mixing board because you don't. The technology is to the point where, you know what? It doesn't matter if it kind of sucks. And as I say this, a lot of the podcasts that I've been listening to lately, they haven't been able to have guests physically there to share mm-hmm. a mic. So they've been calling it in literally on their yep. cell phones and the audio quality isn't the same. Now, five years ago when we were doing this podcast, people were super anal about audio quality. We would get mm-hmm. comments on their audio quality. It's not that good and whatever, whatever. I mean, not what, but occasional. Nobody gives a rat's ass anymore because the standard has changed. Every single one of you, it doesn't matter. It can be 15 minutes. It can be like Joe Rogan does for three hours and just talk about the things that matter to you. And you can circle in and out about you know making it real estate related and start sharing that with the people in your community. Start talking about houses for sale, things that you know you read on well like we do during the week where we talk about a lot of real estate headlines. Use our website. We spend and our staff spends a lot of time creating content for you guys. Uh, TimandJulieHarris.com. That's a media outlet. You can go there and read articles and read all kinds of things that are, you know, sometimes directly drilled down related to real estate and sometimes loosely related to real estate. What, be part of what's coming next because I don't know where this pod, our podcast is going to go. I don't know, like, will all these podcasts that we've been doing, the thousands of shows, will that all of a sudden evolve into something else? I don't know. I mean, you know, I didn't realize everything, if you guys keep moving forward, the domino that might fall next 
It's going to be one that's going to take you in a totally different trajectory, um, but reeling it back in. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about all the different ways, just from the emerge, essentially the you know wide acceptance of 5G, that's going to essentially change everything and every aspect of all of our lives, and it's going to do it at an amazingly shockingly fast speed. And, and I, I think because of the pandemic. Be, that's right. That's exactly right. Because of the pandemic, people will be more accepting more accepting, quickly. Exactly. And more needy of it. Yep. Because now you've you've seen a couple of things. One is that it's possible that you can run the show from your home if you had to. And number two, and a lot of people like being there. It's more convenient. You're, it's less people-y. You're off the freeway. You know, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I do think this is probably going to be, I don't know whether they'll call it a digital revolution or a technological revolution, but I, I think the onset of 5G slash 6G is, is really going to move things and you, make things different. So I don't know. I don't have words for it because mm-hmm. it's an evolving thought, but I'll tell you where I feel this is evolving is towards people being free. Honestly, mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, especially after a time of forced quarantine, but I feel this is going to give people like I read a really interesting article last week. Um, maybe I watched a video. I don't even know. But the lady was essentially talking about she was um, working on Wall Street or had some job that necessitated her working at some particular business at, you know, in Wall- that was in New York. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, she was talking about all the compromises she had to accept, living mm-hmm. in an apartment around a lot of yeah. other people that she maybe didn't like. And probably didn't even realize it until she had to be there a long time. She didn't. I mean, she was. this was a younger gal. She was yeah. in her early 30s. And she, you know, she had, didn't had, you know, in order for her to have a house, she was married, she, in order for her to have a house or an apartment with room enough for kids, they'd had to spend like two and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how much money her and her husband, she didn't give exacts, but she said mid-seven figures. Mm-hmm. Now you guys are thinking, oh, my God, she's earning over a million dollars. Well, here's the, here's the deal. To. In New York City, she w- let's assume it was a million and a half. She was probably spending, and I know this will boggle some of the brains of you guys, <laughs> she was probably spending six to $700,000 a year on taxes. And mm-hmm. then she was probably having to spend the rest of it just to afford and the housing, lifestyle. Housing was crazy right. expensive. Schools there are massively expensive. Yep. yep. Food, everything is mm-hmm. massively expensive. So she she basically had been sold this bill of goods that for her and her husband to live in Manhattan and to pursue this particular career path and lifestyle, they had to accept all these compromises, right? It was like, oh, we're moving to Manhattan and we're going to earn you know a million and a half. Nope, you're moving to Manhattan and you're actually going to be able to earn a million and a half. But you're going to save after taxes yeah. and expenses about nothing. Yeah, well, it's getting by money there. Yeah, you know, isn't that crazy? It is crazy. But I now, but yeah. now she was saying after after the pandemic, she was working at home. Mm-hmm. She was able to do everything she needed to do from home. Nobody really cared that she was at home. Mm-hmm. There was no having to go someplace, and there was also all the all these sort of you know business expectations, social all these things have shown themselves for their fragility. And now she's saying, you know what? I'm not going to go. I don't want to go back to the office. I don't necessarily want to live here anymore. I Maybe I want to live in Florida or maybe I want to live in the you know mountains and, you know, Appalachia. Who knows where I want to live? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I want to live a, on a ship in the middle of the ocean. I don't know if 5G works there, but you guys get the idea. <laughs> so this is yeah. going to open the world up and there's going to be a revolution, a final, I think, nail in the coffin of some really outdated ways of thinking that needed to die a long time ago because mm-hmm. people were forced to comply did so willingly because there wasn't a viable alternative to complying oh, okay let's talk about one that's near and dear to your heart school school <laughs> you read my mind yep so yeah well it's one of the most common things that i'm hearing from my mom friends here you, you mean of course we're all wigged out about 
you know, sending kids back to school, not knowing the second wave of pandemic, this, that, the other thing. But, you know, especially around here where a lot of the families are entrepreneurs, they own their own businesses, they travel all the time. Well, move it out the, of here. The freedom, this is a weird place. Well, but the freedom to educate your kid wherever yeah. you are. The, you know, all of the apps make it absolutely. It's not just Khan Academy anymore. There's, there's gajillions of very good apps um, that are basically games that kids don't even know that they're learning some of the stuff they do. But it, it does give you the freedom to make some of those decisions. I, I know several people that are just going to take a quarter off and go to Europe or travel or go see their family in the but, States. But even if, even if you're like where Julie and I are from and, and you look at Columbus, Ohio, people are, still, people are still taking a real hard look at some of their preconceived notions about how they were supposed to live their lives. And, and like I start wondering, I wonder like um, it, it was normal when you and I were growing up that you had mostly 90%, 95%, you had two working, sp- and you and I are not spring chickens, right? No, so true. you had two working parents, right? Mm-hmm. The generation before us, they may have had the dad Probably went to work and the mom didn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, like, often I think, well, that, when I was growing up, I used to think that that, I knew there was a paradigm shift because people would still sort of say, when I was growing up, they are, your mom stayed on all that, right? And there was yeah. occasionally the kid whose mom was at home waiting, you know, that we were always sort of secretly jealous of because they always That's had a little true. bit better home life. And, and because or they a were lot called latchkey life. kids because right. that was a new phenomenon. Right. I mean, you'd get home from school, there'd be nobody there. They had to then start doing, you know, after school stuff. And just, yep. you know, I'm not judging. I'm just saying our experience was uniquely different. And, and many of yours was the same as ours. Mm-hmm. So I wonder... Like, okay, why did that happen? Did that happen because of some sort of cultural social revolution where women no longer wanted to be moms and take care of their families? I don't think so. I don't think so, ultimately. Either. Yeah, you did when we were growing up. You thought that was normal because you, you actually, you were raised to believe and we were raised yeah. in an environment that was trying to indoctrinate us into a thought that, right? Well, yes, but I, I, I also believe that you know, my you asked my grandparents at Thanksgiving once why people, you know, why does it take two incomes now? And You're, I asked and, your dad, your grandfather. My grandpa said, "Well, there's just more cool stuff to want." That's what he I said. I think that's part of it. <laughs> it was funny. But I also remember my parents like clipping coupons and believing, well, it must take both of them to work because there's three of us right. and with all this stuff going on. And you know, I think they probably could have done okay with only one income. But I also saw my dad doing, you know, summer physics, teaching summer school, and doing photography and all this yep. stuff. But I think that... Not as a hobby. He was taking wedding yeah. pictures. When I was dating Julie when we were in high school, her dad was never home on the weekends. He was never home in the summer. He was doing all these side hustles. Yeah. Her mom was a full-time teacher. Her dad was a full-time teacher, which, by the way, is the reason that she's so married to the idea of traditional thinking with regards to education. But, but here's, the, here's the thought that they sort of, I'm sort of working on, right? Mm-hmm. How much of the, the modern accepted lifestyle compromises are going to be melted away because the coronavirus forced everyone yeah. to say, you know what, maybe we don't have to do school in the same way. Sure. Well, look at the expense of college. Like people, mm-hmm. it's become a politicized mm-hmm. thing that yeah. college has gotten so expensive and student loans and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just be honest, it does, it's ridiculous mm-hmm. that kids are graduating from college with all this amount of mo- ridiculous money and debt. But it's equally as ridiculous as parents are, and schools are saying, hey, you know what, if you're going to borrow all that money and you're going to get a degree that basically makes you unemployable maybe we need to have a hard 
heart to heart about you know borrowing that money and maybe that's not something you should do or you should not follow your passion you know i've always thought that that was completely crazy that you there's no pre-qualification for the degree right right so when you go to get a mortgage they're like what are your ratios what's your debt what's your income oh you ought to be able to afford this not so with what you end up owing in college. I'm glad you want to become a social worker. That's fantastic. But yeah. has anyone actually explained to you what social workers make? And has anyone ever Don't explained make. to you how much money you're going to have to borrow to be a social worker? And has anyone explained to you how long it's going to take for you to actually pay off that debt? And you're not going to be earning much in the first place. And now you're going to have this social, this debt from your education to become something where you didn't earn a lot of money. Have you ever thought about how much money rent is and where how you're going to earn money to buy food? Well, that's what they should be taught in the senior year of high school. Because well, what 17-year-old has those thoughts going on in their mind? They just want to get out of their parents' house, go to college somewhere. You know, well, they're, we're not, they're, they're not thinking. I'm of course, not we're not helping money. things because when young people ask us what to do, we always tell them to get a real estate license. <laughs> yeah, but you don't end up massively in debt to get no, that. No, you don't. So, so here's the again. Think about this, guys. What institutions? What sorts of ways of thinking? What kind of like? There's been so many things that have monopolized our thoughts with regards to this is how it is because it's always been that way. We talked about cars. We talked about. I mean, you know, I'm going to circle back and we're going to talk about real estate, but just think about college. Think about elementary school. Think about where you live. Think about the validity anymore of having to live in a particular geographic area because it's near jobs. You know, I get it. If you're not somebody that's a, a able to work, well, okay, here's another thing. People say, well, Tim, this is, I can see someone saying this, right? Tim, what you're saying is only relevant to people that have white collar jobs and, you know, because people that, you know, are blue collar workers, they don't have the mobility and the ability. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, why don't, why does someone, I mean, Julie and I didn't come from money. We had college student loan debt. Um, both of our degrees were useless, you know, so all of that, right? So why is it, like, if we, when we, if we are emerging now <laughs> as young adults and we were sort of being told to go in this direction or this direction or this direction, what if all of a sudden we could then go online, have an education that didn't result us in being in, you know, habitual debt, mm-hmm. and then we then could start doing different things that would make it so that we never had to be specifically glued to a, geogra- a geographic area or a, a, a you know, sort of an a preordained or a, lifestyle yeah. or life trajectory, you know, yeah. or an office. These things fascinate me. Well, I think you're going to see, and we've already seen this, I think about my, my cousin Laura who had got her master's degree online and yeah. didn't end up you know, eyeing a whole bunch of money. Now, 10 years ago, all those online universities didn't have the best reputation, and now that's well, all why changing. didn't they have the best reputation? Talk about that. Well, I think it's probably because the traditional colleges didn't want them to. That's right, and the traditional you know, colleges... And because it was less money and, and more convenient. You could do it anywhere. There was an absolute organized, um, you know, system in place to basically make online universities and colleges seem less than mm-hmm. the experience you'd have if you went to a classroom. I wonder who was paying for that. I wonder who was wanting the existing structure to continue to live on with no you know, interruptions. I would guess it was the colleges and the universities. I would guess it was the people that are benefiting from the existing system. Boom, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's offline for, you know, in some places, six months. All of a sudden, you're seeing all these technologies and these ways of thinking that were just scratching at the surface of being widely accepted. Now they're hoisted to the top and everyone, look, Harvard University is online now. I know. Yale University is Juilliard's online. Juilliard's online too. Julia, what? Yeah, Seriously? A music take, school? No, How do you, you do that? You don't get full accreditation, but you can take classes. Right. I mean, you can learn stuff. That's amazing. But, but here's the thing that I think to bring the two thoughts together with 5G, 6G, whatever that is, being available to rural areas, being available yeah. everywhere, inner city, because the argument against what we're talking about now 
is that poor kids don't have access to laptops or to Wi-Fi or all these things. When the city, it, it, you know, when you're not dependent on having a fancy phone or a computer, you know, then, let's then, let's then you can combine you the, uh, the online school with now it's access accessible to everybody. So I might be able to see if I stand up. Um, I can't see it, but maybe, I don't even know how many, you know, maybe half mile. Nah, probably it's about three a quarters mile, of a mile. Yeah. To my, I watch. From, from us, there is a new uh, 5G tower that is uh, just been constructed. You can't see it necessarily unless close. you know where to look. It's yeah. pretty close, though. So Julie was, Julie was just talking about rural. So here's something I want all of you guys to think about. Um, if you are a somebody living in, say, rural Texas, and one of the favorite things that we always did on Sundays, actually, when Julie and I lived in Georgetown, Texas, is we'd like to go on drives, and there were some of these cool old towns that were, <laughs> you yeah. had to know where to go, but there were some amazing old towns in Texas that had essentially been, you know, trains explain basically the train stop yeah the, when the trains were built they they essentially those towns mostly well, they, suffered they were, and yeah they were servicing originally they these towns popped up because they were on the rail line or not or they died because they weren't on the rail line you know it, it started going around them or whatever they that had made them something in the first place dried up like you know having your cotton delivered by train and now that's not really a big thing anymore so right. the the railway still exists but it's not really in use so those towns dry up right and so they a lot of these towns actually interestingly enough were have been preserved somewhat and they now film movies there what granger, was that granger was granger yeah granger texas if you guys are anywhere near there you gotta drive it's through really granger cool. texas I mean, it is it, cool it's like walking through history it is some of the original signs yeah. are, of course you know the signs that are up i always wondered if those were movie props from some movie they shot I don't there no i think it's probably a mixed bag no, i but, bet it is but too. It's, i mean the original brick um you know roads are still in a lot of the but, old hardware stuff but look at granger there. so granger yeah. was maybe i guess 45 minutes using the toll road from austin right and Granger had some badass, cool old mansions and houses, and yeah. just as a really, it's it's starting to, you know, with technology. How many people are going to say, you know what? I don't want the hustle and bustle anymore. I want to move to Granger. Yeah. And what's that going to do to Granger, Texas? This little forgotten about town that's It'll been forgotten back. about for decades is all of a sudden going to be rediscovered. Now it's hip, right? Well, how many people who are inexpensive in comparison? I mean, compared, you can buy a pretty kick-ass house there versus downtown Austin or a condo. Or Austin, whatever. Texas. Some of the condos down there are selling for a thousand dollars a California square foot. California money. Yeah, I mean that's kind of insanity, you know. How many people are going to say, "I don't want to"? Right? You guys get the gist of it. Now, how many other? How many of you, as real estate professionals, um, you know, are essentially still? Um, locked into believing that your market is where you're selling real estate now, even though the world, we're only guessing here, but it seems like a pretty logical guess, is going to change incredibly rapidly mm -hmm. as the adaptation of uh, 5G, but mostly the acceptance of being able to break free of sort of these institutionalized ways of thinking. How much is your thinking, how much, like how many of you right now, if you had the choice, would live by a lake someplace? And how many of you right now, if you were to spend a little bit of time and fire up the Google machine, were to do some searching, and you'd quickly discover that there are beautiful lake communities all around uh, the United States where that you've never heard of that have been forgotten about because of the fact that the major cities have been sucking up all the you know yep. employment and been sucking up all the you know all that. How many of you, if you had a choice of living near? beautiful lake having a lake house that wasn't necessarily an urbanly dense you know or mm -hmm. even a suburbanly dense environment would choose to live in a place like that 
I bet you all of you. Or by a beach. Or how many places – where is the place you like to go or the places you like to go on vacation in the summer? You know, Maybe you have this place where your family goes every year or whatever. I'm seeing all these VRBO commercials starting to hit mm-hmm. my you know, inbox back. again, trying yep. to you – know, that. How many of you don't want to just go there randomly but you want to go there permanently? And now that you realize maybe you don't have to necessarily be uh, so dependent on a particular geographic area – how many of you are going to start seriously thinking about moving there? Or maybe you get it licensed in two areas and you start uh, selling real estate in both that. areas. I, I noticed you. somebody you were talking about EXP with the other day was in two states. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had many clients. That, that seems to be something that's coming back as well. There's nothing saying you can't do that. Nope. Or maybe you formed, essentially, <laughs> you have two branches of your uh, business. Maybe you partner sure. with somebody in Florida and you live in New York and you guys can exchange referrals or just whatever. So how many of you right now... Our hope. So, like when people say, "I want things to go back to normal," I have to say, for the most part, I'm glad that normal has kind of taken a break for a while, for mm-hmm. like ever. And I'm glad there's all these opportunities for new ways of thinking, and where people can start saying, "You know what? I think I'm okay with my kid going to an online school." Whereas you, Julie, would have mm-hmm. six months ago, you were repulsed about th- by that idea almost. I'm kind of 50-50 on it now. Right. I, I hope that they, my hope is that they do school two days a week and the rest of the time it's virtual. And that's one of the models that's being looked at right now. Makes total so sense. So that they have a little bit of social interaction. They have communication with their teachers. They get to help. And, you know, some of the kids need to be in labs and doing stuff like that. But I, I yes, I am more okay with it now, partially because I see that. I mean, she's had to do that schoolwork and turn it in. I can see that she you, can do so, it. So you just said something. So. I'm going to drill down on it because people always say labs and taking science class. Yeah. You can do virtually everything that you would do in a science Especially class. Especially now with the, the – they right. were talking about um, – that article we were reading about 5G was talking about medical students doing virtual, um, whether it's operations or what have you. And if you recall from my foray into the land of nerdy last week, the astronauts had said – that docking on the International Space Station was almost identical to their simulations. You can't just go and practice that, right? <laughs> you know. So that was just like their simulations. And I think as things get better and better and more real, um, that that'll, that'll become a more viable option. So one of my clients is going to have a procedure, and I won't get into it. You know, I know he listens, so I won't talk about it. And I won't even say what kind of procedure it is so he doesn't mm-hmm. know I'm even thinking about him right now. But the, the, what he's going to do is he's having this procedure. He's going to be knocked out. He's going to be having this machine. And the doctor is going to be doing the procedure is actually doing it remotely using um, essentially crazy. a whole VR experience that the doctor has. So the doctor yeah. is going to be controlling this machine that's going to do this, you know, very, mm-hmm. you know, essentially it's tiny little incision and this whole procedure is going to happen. And the doctor's not even in the same, you know, so that's amazing to me yeah. because there are obviously differences in doctor skill set. So if all of a sudden you can have a doctor do a procedure on you and he's in wherever the hell he is, you know, Germany or whatever, and you're sure. in Columbus, well, Ohio. And then all that gets recorded and becomes teaching material right. and, you know, exactly. one thing leads to the next. So I do think it's exciting times for that. And, I, you know, I, I think that looking back, people are starting to call this the great pause. Yeah. Of, um, it's the great reset. It's a great reset. And, you know, I think that people have been forced to be introspective where they wouldn't have otherwise been of what's truly important and what are your actual options. Because you could have just gone on with the old normal forever and not had those introspective well, Here, thoughts. make it more practical, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we always, yeah, it's easy to talk about these big scientific yeah. things, but some people are going like, I wouldn't want my doctor to be in Germany. I wouldn't want to be here. I mean, I get that. Yeah. But here's, here's the other thing. What if, for example, retail, as we, tra- as we know it, is going to be essentially, I think, 
I don't even know how a lot of retail. Anything that's involving an office, I truthfully don't even see. Maybe there's a way forward for the short while, but going forward, yeah, um, I don't know. There's, I just don't get it. I just don't. I don't see it. We've always had a virtual business. We've never had an, a physical location. It had, never has made a difference. Yeah. And we've always questioned the sanity of having a. You know, I in the back of my mind, I thought we would be more efficient if we had a physical location. And frankly, and, and gratefully, you know, sure. smarter angels basically have said, "No, Tim, it's better to you know allow people to work from home and the whole thing." But here, here, think about this. What if, for example, you know, we talked about education. We talked about you know medical stuff we talked about all this stuff how about a women's clothing boutique mm-hmm. right what if for example there was a way and i'm sure there is i'm probably you know am missing the boat on this already for a lady to essentially have a virtual rendering of herself either on a computer or through oh, yeah. some totally immersive right and then all of a sudden like you know There's, everybody you can, you can order a curated suitcase of things that are supposed to be for you based on whatever your profile was online i'm talking so that's off yeah. measurements I'm, and i know you can do that with glasses mm-hmm. and it'll scan your face right mm-hmm. and we talked last week how basically you can have a virtual uh, you know eye, eye eye exam right now yeah. by a doctor you can have that done medically yeah. where they'll you know figure out what your you know your adjustments should be in your lenses and all mm-hmm. that stuff but i'm i'm just thinking off the cuff here mm-hmm. so would you as a as a lady would mm-hmm. you want to have an immersive like 5g experience where you put on some sort yeah. of you know thing and all of a sudden you had your body scanned mm-hmm. scans all your little nuances and then essentially you then could have virtual julie trying on clothes absolutely you, i hate going into a fitting room so so if yeah. you if you were a, a, a clothing second. if you were a clothing retailer yeah that's the hot setup why the hell wouldn't you want to do that and furthermore you could have clients all over the world very easily yes and, and you, you can have sales dependent. that weren't dependent on when your stores were yeah. open how much like if you think about super cool how many retailers right now it's not just the you know Neiman Marcus I know has been on their heels for a long time and, and basically they're in BK now and uh, you know J. Gap Crew also Gap J Crew mm-hmm. there's whole malls are gonna you know yeah. how many of those businesses right now because of the coronavirus or more importantly their customers because of the coronavirus are gonna start demanding a new you know retail experience. And are those big businesses going to evolve fast enough or are there going to be small startup businesses that are going to sort of take an iteration of what I just said and all of a sudden make it so that you can start essentially doing all your clothing shopping mm-hmm. online or rather on a, you know, some sort of VR headset or whatever the hell it's going to evolve mm-hmm. to be called. And all of a sudden people are going to, that whole industry is going to just be, yep. you know, and you know, it'll be an Amazon or something like that that does that. Yeah. And, sure. I, and I think that you'll see that with groceries and things where, you know, your fridge will com- communicate with your online Well, that already happens. And, yeah. But that'll become more normal so that right. I don't have to think, oh, my gosh, I'm running out of, you know, cheesy goldfish for, for Zoe. It'll just know that we're on our last goldfish and it'll show up. Right. That'll be awesome. So, so again, when you guys are thinking about what's – if you're trying to move yourself – and, again, Sunday is about us talking about whatever we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're less practical and tactical, that's for sure. But the reality of it is, is if you guys think about what's going to come next, as we sort of cross this rickety bridge together to this new end-defined future, Mm -hmm. I really think what's waiting for us is going to be magnificent. And I really do think it's going to be about people feeling a lot more free and alive. And yes, some of this technology is going to be, um, you know, it's going to feel overreaching. I there's I read another article how essentially there are already drones with cameras and speakers yep. and the whole thing. Well, now if there's going to be 5G's, you guys are going to drones are going to become a normal thing. And I don't just mm-hmm. mean drones, you know, delivering you crap from Amazon. I'm talking about drones that are going to be police drones. Surveilling. Yeah, surveilling. And so I yeah. mean, you can take that from both sides, right? A surveillance state, or basically where it's going to be safer. 
I mean, well, and they're you know the the counter argument to people freaking out about that is that the accountability will be on all the time. You know, if everything's being viewed all the time, there's not going to be the he said, she said, and here's what I saw and what you saw. That you know, some of that is going to be good. And just you know, I, what I was thinking again, developing thought is if if doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it becomes easier and more efficient, then that leaves time for you to do what you do want to do. Well, look at Zoe's education, right? Yeah. I mean, Grant, she's only in she's in first grade now. Yeah. But she can get all of her schoolwork done what. Hour and a half, two hour and hours. Half. Yeah, assuming she's sitting still. Yes. So, so just kind of yeah. going back a couple thoughts. Sure. So school is like it is from eight until three or eight until whatever. Why? Yeah. Because, because why? They can fill the time and make you pay for it. Uh, essentially, mean, and it become now just continue to peel back the layers of the onion because essentially institutionalized childcare. It's care. also you know I get it. I'm not arguing with you, but see how Julie's still defending it, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Parents are at work. Well, that's my point, though. And three, and but they need to, you know, and because it's the law that okay. your kid goes to school by the time they're eight years old. Let's keep drilling down. All right, so for us to build these society, to build the buildings called schools, we have to what? Work. And we have, but we pay, pay for, for it through property sure. taxes. We sure. pay for it through of loss of efficiency because of the fact that people are traveling back and forth. Yeah. And why is and so it's all sort of structured around the idea that you know people are going to go to work and people are going to work because they have to pay for all these institutionalized, widely accepted expenses yeah. that none of us really had a vote on. We we're just born into it. So now, what happens if you wake up? after a coronavirus and you're realizing maybe that school thing isn't the way I thought it would be and if, what if people in mass just staying on the school thing decide I'm not willing my kids aren't going to that school anymore and I get it if I'm going to live in this neighborhood in this community property taxes are what they are yep. so now I'm not going to live here anymore I'm going to move further out where the property taxes because I can work virtually sure. and my kids can go to school We're virtually do you guys see how all these dominoes interconnect it's very, very fascinating if you let your mind go. And I think personally that will result in – And I was talking about the police state with the drones flying over. Mm-hmm. You know, What if people say, I don't want that in my life? Mm-hmm. That's even going to push them further away from where the Absolutely. drones are flying and over, right? And when you have 5G out in the middle of the countryside, you can have those decisions easier. So, yeah, and, and then if all of a sudden people will say, well, stores aren't close enough, and or I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of being away, away from my doctor. Well, if you're being monitored, your health is being monitored all the time, and yep. you don't have to necessarily, I mean, emergency care aside, and if you essentially have that sure. now of a more of a, you know, a condensed, call, consolidated, you know, concern. Objections and, you know, are melting and away. And then what if all of a sudden, you guys get the gist of it? Oh, I don't want to be so far away from retailers. Well, generally speaking, out in rural America, the only retailer is Walmart. So, but what if all of a sudden, through these immersive as long experiences, as you have Amazon, you're okay, right? It, through yeah. these immersive experiences, you could essentially, if you wanted to, you know, buy a pretty dress that normally you'd only be able to get in streets of Paris. If all of a sudden you can go to that little, done. you know, boutique online and you can get it. I'm not saying so it's done. the same, guys, but I'm saying it's, it's going to... It's a new option, though, and the comfort level is going to change with those things. It's had to. Well, consumers are going to yeah. demand that they change, yeah. and then businesses are going to say, you know what, if I... Look, I want to have a little boutique in downtown Paris or, you know, whatever on... You know, what are they... Think of a famous street in uh, Paris. Champs-Élysées. Okay, there's a really famous yeah. one, right? Yeah. Because that's where our store's always been. That's where it's... Okay, I get that. Sure. That's fine. But if you are 99% of the businesses in the United States, let alone the world, that physical location is what's been sucking all your profit out forever. And if you could still sell your uh, merchandise, and look, I was on, um, you know, occasionally I hop on Instagram just to say thank you for people 
sharing our posts and whatnot just to show gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I see all the retailers, all the emerging businesses yeah. that are just only selling on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. Well, look at the success of Etsy. Yeah. You know, that's massive. It is. Yeah. So, so real estate agents and real estate brokers, if you didn't know where we're going by now, then you haven't <laughs> been listening to us for very long. <laughs> you know, ultimately, we're... When I think about the best opportunities, I, went, I was on someone's podcast the other day. And he asked me, um, he asked me what technology I'm following, and I'm sure he wanted to talk about what you know most people in real estate want to talk about the AI or CRMs. And I'm personally, I don't think any of that stuff that's being evolved, with maybe a couple of ex- exceptions, or just anything more than just pieces on the puzzle. None of these ideas that are emerging right now that I see Inman talking about, you know, not so much lately, but pretty much all the time. I don't think any of those ideas really move the needle. There's not going to be a real estate technology idea that's being, um, you know, motivated by agents' needs and wants that's really going to move the needle. It's going to come from consumers. And until there's uh, a consumer-driven, you know, demand and behavior as far as how people interact with real estate, there's going to be no impetus to really change the way the overriding system works. This coronavirus is changing that. Amazon will probably change that. Technology companies that develop the technology we're talking about will change that. What if all of a sudden you had to, you know, Amazon now is able to facilitate this sort of, you know, interactive virtual thing that Julie and I just talked about. They come out with this new device where you can just, you know, hear and smell and the whole thing's immersive. And all of a sudden then Amazon starts selling turnkey technology for agents and brokers. There, it's going to be an application, a recording device, if you wanted to call it that, where you then could essentially, it's not just your uh, entreport type experience. It's something at a totally different level. When that happens, which is going to happen, if you're not an agent that's embracing that type of thing, you're not only going to be not competitive from a buyer's perspective, but sellers sure as hell aren't going to give you the time of day. So when you think about where the where the puck is going to be ultimately, it's going to definitely be, as far as the brokerage side of things, I don't think any of the traditional brokerages, and frankly, I don't think any of the traditional franchises have a real clear path going forward because their business structures and their cost structures are still mired in bricks and mortar. I mean, yeah. again, looping schools back in, you know, we talked about property taxes. We talked about the hassle and expense and, you know, Zoe comes home every two weeks with some new plague, you know. Hmm. What if you could then have the choice of not having that in yeah. your life anymore? What if, and what you always had the choice, but people like my wife and most of you, you guys were like, this is the experience my kid wants to have. I have this certain value set, this belief structure that goes along with this traditional way of thinking. And in order for her to basically, you know, trans- move in life in a certain pattern, going from this school to that school and this and the other thing, she has to follow this traditional path. Well, now we're seeing that traditional path with Harvard and with all these other, you know, I don't think Zoe would ever go to an Ivy League, but maybe she will, right? At the very least, it's under heavy modification right yeah, now. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the filter I'm using and a lot of other people are is when the and I think this applies to restaurants and retail shopping and you know lots of things is when the experience is so diminished by the protocol that it becomes not what you signed up for not what you expect nothing enjoyable I mean there's all kinds of crazy retrofitting of restaurants going on Um, you know if kids are going to be required to wear masks and punished into timeout if they don't that's just not sustainable. What six-year-olds? Well, I can barely get her to wear shoes. She's not going to wear a mask all the time. Right, or wash her hands. You know, and things like that. And then, you know, if they also, they're talking about not allowing them to do sports or music, um, you know, it becomes more and more diminished. And at some point, it's like, that's not going to be worth it. Or they'll they'll make it so that the protocols are, and I think it's, this is a big transition for them to figure out, 
that whatever the new normal is going to be okay and maybe even better. But, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but heavily monitoring the situation. But let's, let's just forget about the pandemic, right? Let's assume that there'll either be a therapy, there'll be a vaccine, yeah, or, people will will just, or people will just say herd immunity and it is what it is and everyone's going to get it. And it whatever that is, we don't talk about that because it's become too politicized. Yep. But whatever happens with regards to the virus, it's almost irrelevant at this point because peep the genie is <laughs> to bring it in what you were talking about. The out genie the is out of the bottle. And yes. now people are without actually having a conversation like all of us are having right now, people are now they're really starting to innately question some of the dogma that they've in their entire yeah. lives have been forced to believe. Or and their then, habits or their right. tendencies, you know, all of that. Yeah. I mean it's amazing to me to look back and I, I'll be very interested to read the history whether that's a year from now or you know 10 years from now about this time in history the the massive change in how people are operating and thinking that is if you think about it March April May half of June that's three and a half months that's it since this started that's crazy you know it really does feel like a decade worth of you know um, things that have happened and and so I think that in itself is something interesting to but, study how but, quickly people can change. Now, it was forced upon us, but still. But yeah. think about what you said. Mm -hmm. September 11th happened mm. yep. in a day, basically. Yeah. The, the stock market crash in 1987 happened in a day. Yeah. The tech bubble crash in 19, early 90s happened in a day. Mm -hmm. If you look at, for example, um, you know, if you look at, you know, Pearl Harbor happened in a day. Yeah. If you go all the way back in history and you look at, you know, John Kennedy was killed in a microsecond. If you think about how change actually happens, it doesn't, it hardly, the most radical change hardly ever happens over right. a long period of time. I know. It happens in a flash. About that we do. You live through it and you, you know. Well, maybe you don't live through it. Yeah. Maybe you only live in the after effects of it. Like if you sure. were a kid and you weren't around in September 11th and, or, or you, you know, you don't know what it's like to fly pre-September 11th. Let me tell you, yeah. it was a hell of a lot less stressful, right? <laughs> yes. You know, and now all this thing, this pandemic, and all these things, the unintended consequences that are happening as a result, hmm. that's yeah. going to be what changes society in a more meaningful way because this change hasn't been in a flash. It's been happening over, like you said, half of a year. And it, it was... And all of us had the experience. That's it, is that the collectiveness of the entire world going yep. through it. That's what's different. Right. That's what's different. And uh, it'll, I'm, you know, interested to see even three months from now what the differences will be. I mean, I had my hair done a couple of days ago and like... I I'm not sure people are going to sign up for that all the time because of all the protocol that you had. Well, to do. but let's talk about that. You so know, the like reason I, I think there's going to be companies where it's going to be do it yourself. Here's your guide, and you know, I mean, there have been, but it'll be better quality and all the that. Re but here, here you're you're bringing something up that's interesting. Let's say you went to get, now in Puerto Rico. Truthfully, I don't really think this is true, but for the rest of you know America and the world, mm -hmm. in order for you to go get your hair cut, you have to be in a licensed place, getting your hair cut by a licensed hair person, right? You have to have a certain level of government involvement in your right. business in order for you to open up, That's like true. the place you went the other day. Their, cert their certificates are on the wall, and right, you know, it's okay, official. So that is a proof of what I'm talking about as far as being a, an attachment to old ways of thinking. I remember when Tesla was trying to open up um, a places to sell cars in Texas. Mm -hmm. The uh, the Texas Auto Dealers Association was supposedly the strongest in America and essentially got together and made it and tried to force uh, that Tesla could not open up locations in 
uh, retail and like malls, right? So Tesla, if you think about it, guys, is there another auto manufacturer that has like pop-up shops, you know, that aren't in these big sort of industrialized, um, you know, places where it's zoned that you can open a car dealership and there's tons of Tesla sitting around. And by the way, guys, if you are blessed enough to travel outside of the United States, you'll see that the car dealership, using as an example, the big sort of all the car dealers in this part of town and this, you know, where it's zoned to have car dealerships, that is an American experience. When mm-hmm. you go to Italy and you go to any place else on the planet, you go into a, a retail location yeah. that's very similar to going into, say, a dress shop or, yeah. you know, a watch shop or a cigar shop. And you go in there and you, there'll be maybe a car there. Or maybe there'll be a car you can drive, but that's the experience. And that's what Tesla did. But the auto dealers associations in, tex- in Texas just, you know, did everything they possibly could to make it so Texas or Tesla couldn't do that. And Tes- uh, Tesla eventually won. And now, like the Domain and all these other yeah. sort of higher-end malls in um, Central Texas and everywhere in Texas, you have te- uh, Tesla dealerships that are right next door to, you know, whatever, uh, uh, you know, an Abercrombie and Fitch or whatever. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> back live in Puerto They're Rico. Back. The music. If you guys could hear that. That's part of our soundtrack. It is. That's right. And the birds right. flying by and the yeah. wind blowing, That's, right? It's all very authentic. Yeah. And you need to take another allergy pill. Yes, I do. Yes. So so th- that's what I hope you guys are opening your minds to because that's really exciting. All these different things. Look, if you're in real yeah. estate, what do you do? It, we can't help ourselves to making this practical mm-hmm. and tactical. It, just straight up, you guys have to take a hard look at EXP Realty. Every other business, every other brokerage is going to have to play catch up, but most of them won't even try. They're going to give it lip service because they have this little reprieve from reality right now because there's all these government bailout programs and you know they've been able to use the PPP and the EIDL loan and everyone, all these brokers are talking about things coming back to normal and all this stuff, sort of the institutionalized stuff that was before will sometime be relevant again. And there might be a little window where they can still operate, but the business model that EXP has created for all of us to benefit from is just incredible. And if you're not taking a seriously hard look at it, as an agent or broker, or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about what business should I get into, get into real estate, become an EXP real, uh, real, real estate agent. The Just for every reason you can possibly imagine, it's the most, I, I'll i tell you what, honestly, I'm jealous of not having come up with the idea myself. I know, right? I know, and, and especially because, I like it because it's not figuring out how to be virtual. It's not, it was born that way, it's not retrofitting, right. it's not piecing together all these different applications. It's already in existence. It's almost like it was waiting for something like this to happen because it's all, I mean, it's very turnkey. The benefits are just amazing. It's the reason that Elon Musk, we always talk about the same things. You guys can tell who inspires us. But uh, Elon Musk, and you look at Tesla, and there's these emerging car companies that are coming out with this sort of amazing autonomous electric whatever, yeah. right? And there's some of them that are coming out. But do you guys notice how none of the mainstream automobile manufacturers have been able to actually I mean, Porsche just tried is trying with their new vehicle, and maybe they're going to get some. They're going to get some place. Porsche might essentially create a viable as an established brand, you know. But they're the most profitable automobile manufacturer in the world, and they're going to, you know, create uh, an electric car. And maybe, like I said, but for the most part, the electric cars that are coming into the market over the next few years, they're all from new startups. Yeah. And because the existing manufacturers can't evolve. They're it's far harder for them to change what's already in existence than to run with something that you just created. Now, think about why. It's not because they don't have the manufacturing facilities or the engineers or maybe even the desire to, and they certainly have the impetus to, but it's because the people who work for those companies 
don't have the mental flexibility or desire to actually change how they think about manufacturing cars or ma- or essentially I mean, what a car is. Their corporate is. structure might not allow for it too. You know, that's you, right. If you have a company that's in existence, and that they have long, established expenses, you've probably got a massive in- infrastructure to get anything done. That's right. You know, and, and you do something like Tesla, it's probably a lot tighter. I mean, look at at SpaceX is the perfect example. How yep. much they were able to to do what they did, you know, last month in ten years, not in a hundred. Right. Because there's less of them. They're forward thinking. You know, they're all on the same page. So, I, you know, I'm licensed. I got to put my my license somewhere. EXP is the obvious choice because it gives you all of the freedom that you want with none of the expense that you don't want, and you're not actually giving anything up. You're getting more for less expenditure. And if you want to talk about a place where you can sell real estate at a high level, have essentially a very shockingly small cost structure, what you have to pay, um, and then you have so many alternatives, like what, what <laughs> I guess one of the most powerful things aside from having a great business structure at EXP and a great technological structure and support structure, just everything you could possibly want in a brokerage, the way that they've created a path for agents to create alternative or additional income streams, that's something that is just amazing because so many agents are so, they're on a path to basically never being able to accumulate anything because they're so transactionally based. And with not a lot of effort and just doing what you're already doing, as an EXP agent, you can literally have income coming in from multiple sources that are not solely dependent on your ability to do to transact. Now, Think about how much of an absolute shocker that is to, you know, (laughs) people like Julie and I. I mean, if we had wanted to accomplish independent, you know, passive income, we had to do it through rental properties. And we still have that software that I still battle with. And so does Julie, like buy more rental properties. But what if buying more rental properties as the only way forward to create independent, you know, passive income? And trust me, rentals are not passive. But just to make a point, what if that is an obsolete way of thinking? What if all of a sudden owning a bunch of single-family rental properties or multifamilies for that matter is an absolutely obsolete way of thinking? As a real estate practitioner, as a EXP agent, you have you know, viable ways of thinking about yeah. how to create passive income, now. a retirement income that's not dependent on rental properties. That means the money you would have been otherwise using towards buying rental properties, you can do a lot of other things with it. You can have a lot more fun with it. You don't have to have the, you know, the essentially the obligation of having rental properties because even a paid-off rental property with a property manager is not something you could forget about. Otherwise, it's going to forget about you. Not you. to mention your property taxes, your HOA, and stuff breaking on you. Well, every every single report I've read is expecting property taxes like around the country to go yeah. up as a result of all the government intervention. The fact cities and states mm-hmm. and municipalities who have been without income sources for the past ninety days. And schools, some of the school systems are backstopped, their pensions are backstopped through property taxes. If you guys don't think property taxes are going to go up, you're batshit crazy. They're going to go up everywhere. And if you have a marginally profitable rental property now, you're going to be essentially losing all the whole viability of that investment. You're going to say, well, Tim, it'll still appreciate. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But buying a rental property purely off speculation as is, is, is whether it'll appreciate is definitely... Uh, you know, a recipe for heartbreak. And then it's going to, if you don't have cash flow, if you don't have appreciation, that leaves depreciation. But I mean, you guys get the point. So that is a, you know, sort of that's what you do if you want to gain independent wealth as a real estate professional is to buy rental properties. If that's no longer really viable, and that was your path forward. At least in comparison, it's less viable 
because there's so much more care in feeding. It takes so much longer. And we're talking about if they're paid off. Most right. people don't don't just pay cash for rentals. Nope. They've got at least a 50% mortgage on it. So, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> had EXP been around when we got into real estate, there would have been no question. And you look at others, you know, you guys saw this in California and Florida where, you know, oh, I'm going to buy VRBOs. Well, good luck. The cities are going to pass rules that you can't. Yep. Or they're going to make it so you have to register your VRBO. Pay the tax. Or pay the tax. Or they're going to make it so that you have to essentially have them look over your shoulder so they can monitor how frequently you're renting that. that you're going or, to have to uh, you know, there could be a pandemic where nobody's traveling. Right. So when I think about all of you and I think about EXP, I almost, I'm so excited. Some of you have no clue what a huge opportunity it is. I'll give you the shortcut to learn more. Just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. If you're already on the EXP path, congratulations. I want you to text me directly so we can further that conversation. Text me at 512-758-0206. And yes, that's my real cell phone number. 512-758-0206. Go ahead and text me. And let's have that EXP conversation. And let's see if it's a good fit for you. If you're a small, medium, or a large, large broker, if you're not seriously looking at a graceful exit out of a probably marginally profitable or non-profitable real estate brokerage now, you better do it before the market really meaningfully shifts next year, which pretty much every leading indicator is telling us it's going to you know go towards a buyer's market. And if your agents, if your brokerage is full of agents that have only been in the business for the last 10 years, and you know damn well those agents are not equipped to be selling in an adjusting, let alone buyer's market, you're not, how are you going to make it, truthfully? Your best agents aren't going to be skilled to basically adapt to the new market. Your brokerage is probably making less than 3%, any kind of net margin now if it's making money at all. I want you to be honest with yourself and think about what are you going to do a year from now if all these predictions about real estate turning decidedly towards a buyer's market and properties losing value in some markets 7 to 10%, what position are you going to be in then? Wouldn't it make more sense for you to seriously drill down on that now? I mean, it goes back to all these businesses we were just talking about, all these different industries that we were talking about. And you guys were, most of you were kind of like on the same page of us. And you were saying, well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't mind having that experience. And yeah, maybe immersive, you know, 5G enabled technology will make it so that I can be rolling around in my auto bot car, you know, <laughs> going here or there, driving to the beach and the car's driving me. And maybe I can have my VR headset on and try on clothes. Or maybe I'm taking a stroll through downtown Paris you know, all the while I'm sitting in the car for two hours, you know, all that, right? Okay, you guys can wrap your minds around that. That sounds kind of exciting. But then when I suggest to you, well, guess what? The business structure you're following right now in your brokerage or your team model is obsolete, just as obsolete as some of these other businesses that it's easy for us to all see the flaws in. But you're not objective enough with yourself to see the flaws in what you're doing. Do you guys see the sort of the, the conflict that you're creating for yourself mm -hmm. going forward? But Tim, I've spent so much time and so much money building my brand and my name and my reputation. I've got signs all over town. People are used to seeing my brand. Well, you know what? The cool thing about EXP is you just have to be brokered by EXP. You, you don't keep have to your lose brand. your soul. Right. You don't have to rebrand right. everything. You don't even have to change your colors. They don't want you to. I mean, no, EXP which I think is great because even as much as and we had great careers when we were with Remax, as much as that that was good. The rules, you know, like... Nobody cared we were with Remax. Nobody cared. Nobody knew. But you still were made to do certain things under the corporate structure, very much like Colors, all of the different brokers fonts, are the same thing. logos. EXP doesn't care about any of that. Nope. Be you. Be your brokerage. Keep your name, your brand, your reputation, all of that advertising and marketing you've spent on your brand. That does not get erased when you become brokered by EXP. What does get erased is all the expenditure. And all the hassle and all the fear. 
And, and you know, wigging out that you're only running a three or four percent margin. And, y you know, don't be weird about that. That just makes you normal. That is the average of the normal brokerage. There's there's nothing, you know, that's just what the what it is. But you, it's not too late to convert and fix that. But it may be six months from now when the economy hits the fan. That's true. And then you're not going to be adjust quick enough. And the reason is, is because you're going to yeah. be burning your candle at both ends. And you'll be more stressed. You're going to be stressed because transactions will be, you know, hard to transact and all the normal things. And your things. agents will be wigging out. Your agents leaving. will be wigging out. They'll be leaving probably to EXP. I mean, I, get, I probably had three calls from brokers last week. And they all want to move DXP. They obviously all want their agents uh, to go to them. Uh, I saw that. They all want their agents to go to them to EXP and follow them. Mm -hmm. But they basically start the conversation out with me, every single one of them. And agents listen to what I'm saying. And they all say this. I want to talk with you about moving EXP. I want to create a plan so I can do this in the next 60 to 90 days or 30 days or maybe two days. Um, but I don't – you have to make an agreement. Then I know you know maybe some of my uh, my agents and maybe you're coaching some of them maybe blah 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 but you cannot let anyone know I'm having this conversation yeah. because I don't want any of my agents to quit before I've officially announced removing DXP because I want right. all those agents to go under me at DXP. I had that same conversation at least three times. Julie hears me doing it all day. Uh -huh. That's the first thing most brokers say is. I'll do this. I see it. I understand it. I totally get it. I want to absolutely do this as fast as I can. But you cannot let the agents in my uh, office know that I'm thinking about making this move because I don't want to lose them because as soon as they yep. realize I'm going to EXP, they're going to go to EXP uh, before I go to EXP. And then I'm not going to sponsor them. I'm not, not going to get yeah. the benefit of revenue well, share. And you only have those conversations once the brokers had that light bulb moment that this makes so much sense that they better do it before the rest of their brokerage does. Right, exactly. Well, anyway, now we're talking about Anyway, yeah. anyway. But guys, look, if <laughs> you want to know where the puck is going to be, if you want to yeah. be part of essentially, uh, there's no question. Like, you know, the EXP business brokerage model is essentially the Tesla, the SpaceX of, you know, the industry, of our industry. It's what is going to be relevant going forward. And it is so amazing. I have EXP conversations with... Uh, through Facebook and through Instagram and people that direct message from all over the world because this podcast is listened to everywhere. You know, I talk about the, we have book people that purchase our book Harris Rules all over the world, and they all are. You know, some of them either don't know what DXP is, they might go and explore it themselves or ask me about it, and then they always say, "How do I bring that here?" Because they get it. You know, they understand it. And I'm having these conversations in some of the most sort of you know gilded cage protective type environments, and like you know. Um, Manhattan, for example, I had conversations with some of the massive agents who I absolutely can't share with you their names in Manhattan. In Manhattan, they don't even refer to the big brokerages brokerages. They call them the four families, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so old school. They're thinking they're, you know, casts out of the Godfather, right? <laughs> you have Douglas Elm and you have, you know, Corcoran. You have, you know, all the, you know, these diff very well-established, respected brands. And yet, and they have all controlled the environment. Commissions are this. This is this cost structure. This is how all of us do business. So a top producing agent doesn't really have an alternative to essentially venture out because they're sort of locked into this existing paradigm. Well, some of them are realizing that, you know, I got to the point where I realized that people do business with me because of me and they don't really, you know, care what brokerage I'm associated yep. with. And the brokerages are great and whatnot. And I love the people here, but I want to do what's best for me and my family. And maybe I'm seeing these brokerages aren't evolving like they should. Maybe I'm seeing that essentially I'm not I'm I'm not as well off as I thought I would be after this many years in the business, and maybe I've sat down and added up how much money I've paid to my broker over the last five years, and I've realized that that's a stifling amount of money to have just essentially gotten you know essentially minimum benefit from because 
you know, you have developed your a reputation and you've got your own brand that people choose, you know, and they don't even know what brokerage you're with. These are all things that pe- conversations people are having. Are you having those conversations? Are you thinking about this? You know, are you actually considering the ramifications of not thinking about this? So I don't even know how long we've been podcasting, Julie. You have anything else yeah. you'd like to say to these guys? Yeah. You know, be flexible. Be forward thinking. Don't get so stuck in your ways that you're not taking action. Uh, we've been doing this for 90 minutes. Does it feel like 90 minutes? Well, now that I'm getting allergenic, I feel that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, so it's all good. It's, you know, the Sunday show is different than our normal podcasts. And we need to take a break and talk about different things sometimes. And I hope that these guys are getting out of their wheelhouse, too. How do you feel after having this podcast? I always feel, you know, better. I don't know optimistic. whether... Optimistic. Optimistic, definitely. That interesting? Me, too. I, I think we are naturally, uh, cautiously optimistic, keeping it real, of course. I hope these guys are, too. You know, there's so many great things that I've seen. I think a lot of it's on our... We've been reporting on our website, like... Um, you know, 10 things that you can do this summer that don't involve getting on a plane or, yeah. you know, museums are having a great boon from this because they're doing uh, online tours and the zoos and things like that. Zoe watches the uh, Columbus Zoo polar bear cubs. You mentioned museums you know. and we're digressing here, but it's yeah. a good point. Um, the Louvre is going essentially interactive. Yeah, so you're going to cool. be able to, so if you have a high res, a, four, a 4K or a 5K headset on where, and it blocks out all the noise and all of a sudden you're being, you're walking around a, a museum and I'm, I tell you right now that's I absolutely miss going to really amazing museums and you know you're walking around in the Louvre and you're able to go see you know whatever it is that you're interested in and you're looking at the painting and you you do not sense there's no boundaries like you're not looking at a screen everywhere you look is you know there's no interruptions there's no latency issues you look up you very look real. Down, you're seeing what exactly you'd see if you were there the only thing you're not doing is smelling what you'd smell in museums, uh, frankly, and smell the noise. amazing. And, and you know what else is well, cool about these? Well, you'll hear the these? noise. You'll hear the noise. Well, but what I think is super cool about this is whenever you and I have gone to amazing places like that, we've never had more than like six hours on that day. And two hours are figuring out where you're going, you know. And spent um, standing in line. And standing in line yeah. and struggling with the language or whatever's going on. When you do it virtually, you don't have all those issues. But so you, you can spend more time doing what you want to see. It's not the same, right? Obviously, going to see David and, but and some things you know, are better. Florence is not the same as yeah, seeing it virtually. Even the best interactive thing. But here's the thing. If you don't have the money to fly to Florence and see David and walk through the, you know, those different just amazing museums and have those experiences, if you don't have the money for it or if you're really young or if you're just or not how able about if they're closed because they're yeah. only able to be at 25% capacity. And you go and have that immersive ex- if you want to know what it's you know, we climbed to the top of the Eiffel Tower but you know, I'm not I don't know what percent of the experience a really high end immersive experience would be versus actually doing it. I don't know if it's fifty yeah, percent, I don't know if it's sixty percent or seventy. Right. So think about like if you're in that if you're in that rural environment and you're you know, you don't have the money or the ability to travel and whatnot and all of a sudden you can actually have those experiences where you can then start uh, having the, you climb to the top of the Eiffel Tower or you can go to the Macy's Thanksgiving uh, yeah. Parade uh, you can do all those experiences without actually having to you know it's not the same but it's a hell of a lot better experience for the people that maybe for example couldn't have lived or couldn't have afforded to do it or couldn't have you know all that if you want to know what it's like to live on a beachfront house in you know Malibu you know, and you've always wondered what that's like. And you're from Columbus, Ohio, and you've never the only places you've ever exposed to places like that are online. And all of a sudden, you can have this immersive experience where you're there. You know, maybe someone's going to create the technology where you can actually smell the salt air. I don't know. Probably. And you have that experience. Doesn't that make you a better person? 
doesn't that make it? It doesn't make it so you don't want to travel there. It probably makes it so you're even more motivated well, to travel I'll there. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I've been thinking about is with all this new virtual experience stuff, with things like museums and town squares and even the aquariums and things like that. Let's say that we were going to go there physically next week. You can do so much pre-research right. and have a better experience when you do do it in person than you would have otherwise done. And, yeah. and by just saying, well, you know, I want to go see the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Let's go, you know, next week. I like that I can see, all right, well, maybe the penguin exhibit is better than the, you know, something else. So I, I think that it's the convergence of the real and the virtual. Yeah. And you, like we, we did a Pretty live cool. event. I'll never forget this. You and I were doing a live event in Austin. And we had a live video feed. And there were probably only 80 or 100 people in the room. But at one point, we had like 15,000 people yeah, watching us awesome. on a stream. And I looked at the numbers and I thought to myself, that's just, I mean, that is really badass. That's really the bottom yeah. line. So where are you guys evolving? Where are your minds at? Are you still st- stuck trying to make things? I know some of you guys are trying to make ends meet. You're trying to work through what you've got to work through. But you've, you know, our Sundays are about thinking big and maybe, I don't know, detaching from the drill down. Mm-hmm. And maybe yours should too. I want you guys to seriously have this EXP conversation with yourselves. And it does not matter where you're where you are in the United States, Canada, or Australia. If you're ready to have that conversation, start by texting the word EXP to 31996 or just if you're ready to move forward and you want to have somebody that's going to help you cross in the threshold and actually becoming an EXP agent, just go ahead and text me directly and I will call you back. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, guys, thank you for keeping us company today. Hopefully, we educated and we entertained. And I have to say, every time we do these Sunday podcasts, I really do feel like we're all sitting here together having this big conversation because it's pretty magical, you know? Yeah. It is. So God bless all of you. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>